It's not often that we can talk about someone doing something for the first time in filmmaking, but today we can. I'm George Edelman, host of the No Film School podcast and editor-in-chief at No Film School. And today my guest is cinematographer Bianca Klein, who shot the heartwarming feature film Marcel the Shell with his shoes on. If it's playing in theaters around you, be sure to go check it out. It's definitely unique and it's definitely a sweet, kind of perfect movie in a lot of ways for this time that we live in. <laughs> These unprecedented times that can get us all down. It's a very heartfelt, sweet movie. But look, we're here to talk about filmmaking. And as I promised at the beginning, there's stuff going on in the making of this movie that is entirely new, entirely different challenges and approach. And it combines, of course, techniques from many different aspects of the gigs everyone is familiar with, from music videos to stop motion to live action to animatics to all that stuff. There's a very systematic way that Bianca and the team went about doing this. They broke new ground. They did it effectively. They did it without breaking the bank. And they did it in a way that has garnered the ideal response for them. So this is a great story. Be sure to check out the film, but also you don't even need to check it out to learn about how they did it. There are no spoilers. So here we go. I'm really excited to have you here and to be talking about this movie and your career and I guess I kind of want to start just because I feel like this is the question that a lot of people will be wondering, especially with Marcel, the shell with his shoes on. What did you guys use? How did you shoot it? Like, what were all the tools? And, you know, it's obviously a very different, you know, it's not just people. It's a shell with yeah. shoes on. So, like, what's the, what is the strategy? What are the tools involved? You know, was it different, different kinds of lenses, different kinds of cameras or just, you know, what standard things? What was the technique? Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, as far as I was approaching the film, like it was basically like, I mean, the, the, the premise for my, my photography was we're going to do it like a, like you would do any kind of normal movie. So I approached it from the first standpoint of like, what's the right camera and lenses that give us the look that we want for, for this particular story. We kind of, we tried to approach it like Marcel was a human. Obviously he's not, but it was like, okay, how would you just interview a film, you know, uh, interact with a, a human character right. in the, in this house, you know, and, and then a million other complications came in that we tried really hard to make it seem like they weren't problems. You know, it's like, we didn't want all of the difficulty and the, you know, all of the arduous work that went into making Marcel seem like a very normal part of this environment. Mm. Um, to be noticeable. It's like we wanted it to just feel effortless. Like the Dean character just grabbed a camera and started filming this this little person who, who lived there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so that, it, was a bit, it was a bit odd. <laughs> yeah. And so doing it that way, you mentioned there were challenges. Like, can you talk about yeah. the workarounds? Like when that approach came up against obstacles, because that seems like the absolutely right way to treat it and it comes through. But like you said, I'm sure there's many situations where it's like, okay, it's not that, right? <laughs> like, so uh -huh. we have to find a way to make it feel that way. 
I think every single shot in the film is like that. It's like, it's not. <laughs> okay. I mean, yes. there are there are a handful of shots that don't include Marcel in it or any kind of, you know, animated characters. So that those ones were fine. But 98% of the film has a whole bunch of difficulties built into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we wanted to do Marcel as a stop motion character. So, I mean, the film is this is really boy- making it simple, but it was like kind of like filming a, a movie with a CG character. It's like, okay, we're just going to film it like a normal character. We have, we had stand in Marcel's and, mm-hmm. and for Nana Connie and we would light those. And we're like, okay, this is where the focus goes and this is where it goes. But then it was like this, it's a giant complication to try and make it, to create, recreate Marcel in stop motion instead of mm-hmm. CG. But the approach was kind of the same. It's like, okay, we're just going to do all these tried and tested things that people have used for visual effects. But the real complication was that nobody had done this kind of thing where nobody had incorporated stop motion into live action, a live action movie. So it was like, it was a lot of figuring it out. It was like, okay, what are the tried and tested, you know, what are the, what are the necessities that stop motion needs? You know, how do you, how do you do a stop motion photography, you know, on a stage later. And then like, what can, so with, with those parameters, what can we do or not do in, in the, in the principal photography? And so we tried to, you know, seem like, or tried to hide our limitations. You know, it's like moving around the Z axis, like trying to any kind of like rotation around Mm. Marcel was tricky. And there are a few times in the, where we did it in the film, but we had to use motion control. And so mm. we didn't want that. We wanted a lot of freedom and like have the characters or have the camera be able to move pretty freely, like, you, you know, handheld and that kind of thing. So to create depth, you had to use the other tools to create two-dimensional space into depth, right? As opposed to like a rotating camera around the subject. Like yeah. Well, it was like and- the camera could, the camera could move forward and backwards on the Z axis, but you couldn't rotate around it. Like any kind of three dimensional rotation was a little tricky. So we would, we would try to hide it. Like the very first day we were filming a scene where they, um, Marcel is using a magnifying glass to pop popcorn. And as soon as it like actually happens, like the popcorn starts going everywhere and it scares Marcel and Nana. And so they run and in order for us to follow them, it would have like, change the axis around them. Interesting. So we were like, okay, we'll just, we'll skip that middle part by the camera drops down. Like, you know, the camera operators also, you know, scared and running away. So it was like, oh, we, we (laughs) you know, the camera just dips down below the surface of the table for half a second. But then when we come back up there, Marcel and Anna are in a different position. So it's, it's like, it's all those, it's kind of just trying to hide it. It's one of those. Yeah, one of those kinds of things. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You said so much just now that I want to follow up on. There's so much. <laughs> but um, it's what a you mentioned, film. <laughs> it is, it really is. And I'm so glad we're talking about it because I, I don't think people, I think people come away from it with, what is intended from the story. It's heartwarming, you know, yeah. and I think that that, and, and that is serving a really valuable purpose right now. <laughs> it's a necessary thing. It's a nice movie to have in the world. And it comes yeah. from a short, there's a lot of cool things about it and we could talk about them, but technically it's really imposing. And I, I don't think people recognize <laughs> that. And like you just said, it's something no one ever tried before. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, like that, yeah. like it's oh, a yeah. small scale movie in a lot of ways, but it was built mm-hmm. around trying to do something that we haven't done. That's a big deal. Yeah. And I think Nobody that, had like, done it. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> Ever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's crazy. And I think you also talked about something that I find fascinating just as like a film nerd buff, <laughs> the character of the camera like making decisions, like you had the the latitude to decide, like the camera decides to hide, like the person with the camera. Yeah. You know? How much in the story, as a cinematographer, that gets you into the storytelling with the director and the writer almost? Like how much did you talk about stuff like, well, what do we want to do with this persona that is the camera? Yeah, I, it was um, semi-built into it a little bit because... Um, like when I was first approached about the film, there wasn't a script. There was finished locked audio. Like they had already done music, sound effects, you know, all the dialogue was already locked together. Mm. So I watched, instead of reading a script, I watched storyboards with, uh, synced to the, um, to the audio that was finished. So, so in a lot of ways, like the, uh, yeah, all of Jenny's stuff was done. And so I got to watch or listen to Isabella Rossellini and Jenny Slate's performances. It wasn't just on the page and you think about, oh, how mm-hmm. could it be? It's like, no, the performance is already done. Like an audiobook or something. Yeah, yeah. And a lot, I mean, totally. And it was, and, and as well as the voice of Dean, the 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 off-screen director, right? The the, right. the documentary, not the not the director of Marcel Shop. Right. Um, and well, they're the same person, but <laughs> um, but all of that was, yeah, all that was kind of built in where it was like, okay, he's going to say this and he, you know, he does that. So some of that was built into the camp thing, you know, like for instance, there's a scene where Dean's lying on the couch and Marcel like operates the camera. You can't see my air quotes, but you know, he's kind of right, like right. turns the camera on and pushes the camera uh, yeah. <laughs> so that it's framed up on Dean. And then, you know, it's like kind of things like that were kind of built into it. Right. Or, you know, we could also, we tried to portray the character of Dean, which is also an important character because it's not just the person who's behind it. Marcel's really kind of interviewing Dean in a lot of ways too. Mm -hmm. So with the camera, we could show what Dean was doing, you know, kind of pan away when he's uncomfortable or, you know, pan to other things that he'd rather talk about, you know, because it's, it's really a relationship film. You know, there's right. the relationship between Marcel and his grandmother, but also, um, you know, Marcel and, and Dean have a, a relationship. And the camera serves as this kind of tool between the two of them. 
and us. And it's there's this interplay. And I just always think that the meta-ness and the, that's always interesting to watch. <laughs> and it's always interesting to see people playing with it in different ways because it gives you a whole new dimension. Yeah. Oh, can I tell you too? I think that yeah. the, um, you know, the camera, like trying to create a visual language for this was really interesting because I've, you know, I've done a lot of documentaries as well as narratives. And I always am striving to f- make my documentaries more cinematic in a way. Mm. So it's like we tried to include a lot of very beautiful B-roll or things that were like when there's moments that aren't as supposed to be verite that we would try to include really gorgeous lighting, but still make it feel very natural. Like there were no artificial lights, but oh, how would it be the most gorgeous sunlight for this scene? Or, you know, when there's an interview kind of thing, it's like, okay, he found the best window light, you know, to do this. Even though Can you talk a little more about the, about the why? I have thoughts, I'm sure, but I'm curious to hear you express this idea behind the striving to make the documentary more cinematic. I really think that it makes it more immersive when a documentary has really... Well, I mean, the whole thing with, you know, I mean, I started out as a narrative cinematographer and then kind of moved into documentaries for a little bit because I really enjoy documentaries because you get to Mm -hmm. participate in parts of life that you don't normally get to. So it's a personal thing as well as then I get to share that with the world. And I think that, you know, over the last, well, I mean, thousands of years, but specifically with photography and cinematography, it's, you know, hundred plus years of people developing a visual language that we, that we, as most every person on earth, you know, participates in because we watch films and we look at photographs and we learn how, how things are, how ideas are conveyed. Like I always, I think of cinematography as a language, like it's, Mm -hmm. it works very similar to a language. You're, you're conveying ideas through different techniques. Like, you know, I mean, definitely through lighting, but through, you know, lens choice and camera movement and how close are you to a character? Right. Yeah. Are you high? Are you low? Is the camera moving fast, et cetera? I think that there's a, a tendency like in a lot of documentary filmmaking to avoid those um, tools in helps in hopes that it makes the film feel more authentic in a way. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we didn't do any fancy tools or tricks. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't see that as like very helpful. I mean, it can be fine, but um, I think I think I have all these tools to help you feel a certain way. I might as well do it because I'm going to be doing it anyway. You know, I think that no choice is just as strong a choice as, as a choice. Right. As soon as you turn a camera on, there's something happening. There's a creation mm-hmm. of a narrative, right? It changes the dynamic. It's like introducing a new element to the stew of whatever's happening. So you can't become invisible, even though that's a, that's a choice too, right? To try and become invisible. But what you're saying, I, to me, it's, it's fascinating because it's like, you'll do things that are part of the cinematic language because you're speaking the cinematic language to people, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like totally, shot reverse yeah. shot is part of the language. So it's like, it, it would be like saying like, I want to speak English to you, but I'm not going to use words. You know, like it's like, we're going to have to use the building blocks at some point. I, you know, I mean, I think that cinematography lets you use, it lets you say things that we don't have words for. Mm-hmm. I mean, like in any language, there's always gaps where it doesn't do it as well as another language or yes. it does it, um, you know, or it's just missing. 
certain concepts. That's when you and have music, right? Or something like that. That's the music. <laughs> yeah, I think it works just like music. It really does. Right. Cinematography is music. It's like, I don't have to verbally say something to you, but I can make you feel a certain way. You know, mm-hmm. like you look at images and and even the most untrained viewer will look at it and feel melancholy or excitement or joy, you know, like just by, just by looking at it, uh, an image. And so, you know, a a director um, that I've worked with for years said to me that our job is to direct the subtext, not the Mm. text. Like the text is Mm. written and the director and the actors will work on it. It's like, okay, here's all the words we have to say and, or want to say. And, and then, you know, the cinematography gets to it gets to tell you what the subtext is. You know, is mm-hmm. the, is this character, even though they're they're portraying a really strong, you know, putting on a strong bravado, bravado, are they? Um, they're actually very weak. Or this character saying this, but they're really lying. And the the cinematography can make you feel that. You know, imagery has that power. That is one of the most fun um, ideas I've heard someone express in a while because it makes you think like, oh, cinematography can be so cool. And it already is cool, right? Because it's already like, it's like one yeah. of the sexy parts of movie making because it's like images that are beautiful or whatever. But but to say like, no, you get to be the one who helps get meaning across and get feelings across. I always thought like music was, as a viewer, it's like the, the score will tell you exactly what you're supposed to feel right now. <laughs> like it will <laughs> indicate to you like, is this scary? Is this happy? Is this silly? Yeah. Is this romantic? Like the score is there to indicate. But you know what? So are the visuals. And I don't know if that's always the way it's approached, but I love the way you're putting it because it, I think everyone should use it. It's, a, it's an opportunity to present subtext and meaning, right? Yeah. My wife and I used to always say that like, um, whenever we heard music in a film that was like over the top, like basically meaning that it was noticeable what it was, uh-huh. what it was doing and what it was there for, for in that scene, we'd always say, oh, and the music tells you how to feel. Yes. And yes. It, I mean, all music kind of tells you yes. how to feel. Sometimes you're aware though. <laughs> it's a little heavy handed sometimes. Yes. Sometimes yeah. you're aware. And then sometimes you think, wow, if this music was different, would it be scary still? Or would it, you know, and I know editors and cinematographers, I know as a DP, this is sort of another question I have is when you say set up a shot and you know, you're trying to convey like some sadness, maybe with Marcel Uh and you, and you shoot it that way, but there's also the power of the music later, or or in this case, you knew the music. So that's cool. But in, in some cases you wouldn't. And in this case, you don't necessarily know what the juxtaposition will be in the editing room, but you have some idea, right? Do you yeah. construct it sort of with a conversation like in your in your work of like, how is this going to stitch together with the other parts here so we can do this? The way well, we I mean, with this film, it was it was pretty different because we filmed it in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, kind of like you do a, a music video where it was like we were just doing playback on set. Like the, mm, the scene was finished. Yeah. It's like, OK, we know this scene is 34 seconds long. And so we need to cover that with our shots. And we had already designed images, you know, like, like uh, most of our pre-pro was finding the images. So we, we took all, we started replacing the storyboards with stills images that we, that we found, you know, found on set that we were like, okay, this is where we want to film this. This is what we want to do for that. So real quick to interrupt, sorry, the sets were set up so you could start taking pictures before you were shooting and just have like a kind of, this is what these are plates basically. Well, 90% of the film takes place in this one house. 
Right. And we had our, um, our pre-production was all in that house. Like we set up our production office kind of, well, there was a production office down the street, but like the director, the visual effects supervisor, animation director, and I like every day would go to the house and we would, we would talk about all the logistics and have meetings and such like that. But, but when we weren't doing that, we could just wander around the house and And say angles and yeah. Yeah. We we wanted to find locations throughout the house that were, that would work for certain scenes. It's like, okay, well this, you know, this scene is about this. So maybe we'll do it in the kitchen or, you know, we'll do it, you know, and we had to find places that worked for, you know, like when he's shaking the the leaves or the berries off the tree, then, you know, we knew, okay, that's got to take place in the kitchen because it's located closest to the backyard and where the tree could be. And, and we brought in a fake tree because we just, there was no tree where we wanted a tree. And, you know, some of it was like, we built a set in the, like onto the side of the house, you know, it's like, we need this garage slash slash laundry room. So we want to do, uh, you know, we'll build that set here. Mm. And we built it knowing where the sun set. It's like, okay, the sun sets right out uh, there. Yeah. So let's build the window so that, you know, sunlight's pouring in. And that was the last scene of the film. So we knew that would be really important. And you know exactly what it's going to look like. You kind of de- design it around the look you have in mind. Yeah. I mean, it was really, it, the, the thing that was really great about filming a movie that takes place all, almost all in one location is that you could really work on that location. Like as our department was building that set, I was actually there and I could say, oh, let's try this. Or, you mm. know, let's, you know, looking at it, it was like, oh, it's really dark. Let's paint the whole thing white. You know, that'll help with that, that contrast of, you know, filming an exterior sunset and, you know, an interior. And you make it sound like something that most people would see as limiting was not limiting. Was it, it, it like oh, it was almost yeah. expansive? Cause it, you, suddenly <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, man, they have that whole house and all these different places to explore, to look at. Whereas I would think maybe because Marcel is small, but I would think if it was people, you'd be like, man, we only have the house. <laughs> no, you're, <laughs> you're, you're very right. Like, I mean, the living room was, I mean, it was a decent sized living room, but it wasn't huge, but it was like for humans, it would be like, oh, every scene will feel like the same room. But with Marcel, (laughs) it's like, oh, the mantle and there's two different windowsills and there's the floor and we could film on the couch and, and they're entirely new locations. It was like your, like Lord of the Rings in um, New Zealand, like that living room was was your New Zealand. It was huge. Yeah. You could do anything. It was like. And Marcel actually like kind of talks about it. You know, he's like, oh, this is my mantle. And it's like the mantle of a fireplace would just be kind of background Mm -hmm. for a a human scene. But for him, it's like a whole new room. I mean, it was a, I think it was like four bedroom house. So yeah, with humans, that would be like, well, we've got seven rooms to film in. But with Marcel, it was like, oh, there's, there's 30 rooms in here. I, I would imagine a shooting script now and it's like interior mantle, <laughs> things like that. Like, it's just funny to imagine. So let me ask about, again, like the stop motion workflow, because we okay. talked about it a little bit before, but I think a lot of people probably have no clue. And since it's a new idea anyway. So yeah. you were shooting on location first at the uh-huh. house, kind of creating the, the plate, the room, the space um, with a stand-in for Marcel. Uh-huh. and then. And then later shooting stop motion of Marcel that was lit to match, essentially? Yeah, exactly. So we had a wonderful man named Eric Adkins, who was our stop motion DP, 
who was there through most of pre-production and was on set every day with me and was so good about PD. I mean, we would have conversations all day about, does this work? Can you replicate this? Or, or he could do things that I couldn't on Marcel. You know, it's like, oh, there's a weird eyeshadow because of the mm. light I'm doing. You know, can you clean that up in, in, when you film him on stop motion? And he would just take notes of everything. So, you know, it's like F-stop lens, uh, focal distance. You know, what was the light? He would take pictures of all of my lighting. Wow. And, and then basically, you know, and it was really nice having stand-in Marcel's because we could see what he was going to look like in that environment. Yeah. And I could light to him. And it would also help us get focus marks. You know, we'd kind of move him around. It's like, okay, he starts here and then he jumps down here and walks a little bit and and then we would film a, a version with Marcel and then film a version without so that it was clean. And then after we were done, after we'd wrapped the film, like they locked the picture, which wasn't too difficult because we were basically like throughout the film, we were just inserting our footage into the timeline. Like yeah, we had all the audio. And we just replaced the, uh, the, the, cut, the audio was cut, right? The feature was yeah. cut to the audio. Amazing. But we also knew what images we want. We were like, I had already, right. we, we basically did the whole film. You know, Dean, the director says we did the film like four times. It was like, they did the audio. They figured that out. Then they did storyboards. Then we did still, mm. you know, photos. And then we did it for, you know, in, in principal photography. And then they did it again with, you know, stop motion Marshall, photography. Right. So it was, uh, yeah, it was like it was a, by the on the last day of the of principal photography, we had basically a cut. Like you could watch the rough cut, and every day we would yeah. watch it. We're like, oh, it's it's coming together, and you could see how it was how it was working. So cool. Did what camera did you use on principal? Alexa Mini. And did he use that for stop motion? No, um, he used. I wouldn't have thought so. He used a stills camera, and I can't remember which one. I want to say a. A Nikon, but I might be wrong. Did he but use I, the same le- kinds of lenses, or did well, he use like an? Did he, did you guys talk about we got to match? Because I know lens choice is so important these days, and I'm uh-huh. sure for you, like, what was your lens package like, and how did he replicate that? Or so yeah. this was kind of fortuitous. Like, there's a, a set of lenses that one of my my DITs had created. He tracked down all these Nikon FD lenses. And had them rehoused, hmm. and I love using them. They're like they're really, uh, they're re- have a really beautiful look, but they're also very flexible. And the close focus is very close, like what you needed. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. And I was like, oh, these are super ideal. And we tested a bunch of, we tested cameras, and we tested a bunch of different lenses, see what would work. And you know, we tried all the like you know Inovision, Fraser lens kind of things, where it's like that people often use for um, macro photography, but we felt that it made Marcel feel too much like a, like an animated film, like Mm. the way it's kind of the way that a lot of stop motion films generally feel where they're, but they're trying to make it feel like a real world. Like you you look at the whole world is part of that look. Yeah. Like Coraline is supposed to be a a normal sized human, even though physically she's not right when they're animating her. But, with our film, we're like, no, we want Marcel to feel like he is one inch tall. Like it's a really big element in the film that he's just too small for this world that he lives in. Yeah. We wanted that feeling of he's really small. So we found that using, you know, normal 
style lenses you would use for for humans and and really emphasized that you know made him feel like he was really tiny so i having that it was it was funny like having that those lenses already chosen i talked to eric about it i'm like you know i don't there's only one set of these lenses in the world at the time i don't know how you're going to replicate that and he's like no 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 that's perfect we use stills lenses for everything because it's much they don't have the same needs that live action photography does and they're small and they have closer focus and you know it worked much better for them mm. he's like we have that we have like you know we can get 10 sets of nikon lenses that you know they're not rehoused they're they're just you know regular stills lenses but they worked perfectly so it was fortuitous because I was kind of like, no, these are the lenses I need to use, want to use. Right. But he was like, nope, that works. That works perfectly oh, for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. So it matched. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm curious how, you know, as we kind of wrap it up a little bit, like mm-hmm. you, how you came to this project, we didn't talk about that at the top, but you know, given your career and also, yeah, just like what, how did this project come across to you? initially because of the documentary background? And is that kind of where you'd started? Is, was that your goal when you got into this? Like, I want to shoot docs or? No, no. Like I, you know, I, I started filming narratives. Like when I was a teenager, I was watching, you know, narrative films and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a DP for those kind of films and tell stories through manipulating the, you know, the imagery. I mean, I really love lighting. Yeah. Um, I kind of fell into documentaries a little bit, you know, and I found them to be fun. And and I actually learned a ton from them because you get a lot of experience very quickly doing documentaries because you're in, you know, 20 locations a day and you, you find like what works and doesn't work naturally in the world, which I think is important for most stories mm-hmm. that, you know, exist in the real world. It's, you know, might be different for a Star Trek or something like that, but it's like you—you you mean you have limited lighting options, and you're on the go, and you got to deal with what's there, and so you learn very quickly what the world is going to give you, kind of. Yeah, I think so, but but also you, I, I found that you you just encounter a lot of naturally occurring light sources, you know, whether it's whether it's uh, you know sunlight, it's like okay, this this works really well with this kind of angle, you know, makes this look really great or, you know, really undesirable situations too. It's like, oh, really harsh sunlight. How do I deal with this? What do I do? You know, as well as like, you know, lighting situations you might find it's like, well, what do I do in a very fluorescent lit, you know, office space? How do I make that interesting? And you're kind of forced into it. And there's a lot of room to fail because you're like, well, I don't have control. And sometimes it just ends up being what it is, but you just right, try and things. that's acceptable. Keep trying because of the yeah, it's totally fine. I see. So you and there's less money at yeah, stake. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. Right. But right. I'll bring the I bring those things into my narrative cinematography. You know, it's those like, lessons. Oh, I, I know that. Yeah, I know that. I know this works. Or I know this looks really good. Or or I know this looks natural. So it feels like it fits in. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, in this scene, a narrative scene, we're gonna have this really low sun and it's coming through the window and it looks gorgeous. And sometimes people will be like, well, that doesn't really exist. And I'm like, I've seen it. It happens. It only <laughs> happens for 10 minutes a day, but <laughs> right. you know, it works. It's fine. It, it's there. That's we just have cool. to make it work for 10 hours a day, you know? So you got to yeah. use lights instead of using the real sun. 
Nice. Well, do you have any advice? Like if you were talking to a DP or somebody who's trying to become a DP, what would you advise them to do to sort of get started? Would it be shoot docs? <laughs> I thought it was really great. I mean, I learned a lot from, from filming documentaries. Do you know, I think that like just doing everything when you're young is great. Like I, you know, I mean, I did stop motion stuff when I was in high school. Like it got, I did a stop motion film that got me into, uh, my film school. Oh, cool. um, I think so that, your background think, with that you know, also informed this opportunity a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. like a very little, like I, you know, I had done it in stop in high school. I did it a bit mostly cause I couldn't wrangle friends to be mm-hmm. my actors. Yeah. <laughs> <in high> school. <laughs> yeah. I was like, stop motion. Yeah. I could do things with Play-Doh or built, you know, little wireframe things. They like, could do whatever I want. I could spend hours and hours doing it. Yeah. But I mean, throughout my career, I've done music videos and documentaries, and I've done a lot of commercials and feature films and short films. And you never know where something's going to lead. You do a film, a short film, and you're like, I don't know if it's going to be great. Maybe you're disappointed, but the producer is like, loves it and recommends you to the next film or loves you. It's like, oh, they, you know, she did a great job, recommends me to the next director or, you know, or even, you know, when you're doing short films and student films, it's like the person who's a PA might be the producer on the next film. Yeah. Might be the direct yep. might be directing something next next know. week and you know, they they bring you on. And it and it really yeah. happens, you know, throughout the, you know, the industry. It's like no matter how big you get, it's like the person who's a line producer today is is producing or directing, you know, a fe- a feature in two years. Right. No, that's that's true. And that's good advice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, congrats with the film. And I thank hope everyone you. sees it. It's really special. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Bianca, for coming on the podcast. Everyone be sure to check out Marcel the Shell with his shoes on. It's in theaters if you can. Stop motion is a fascinating, cool tool. It's time-consuming. It's unique. It has its own look and texture. But we got into so much beyond the combination of that with live action. We talked about the philosophy of cinema from a cinematographer's standpoint. And I think Bianca made some of the more interesting points about that than I've heard in a long time or even considered myself. So this was a really fun interview to do. And I hope it was uh, as enlightening and inspiring to all of you as it was to me. Be sure to check out more stories like this at nofilmschool.com. We have gear guides if you want to check out gear and look at mirrorless cameras to buy or lenses or anything like that that you might use in your own creative pursuits. We also have industry news, tech news, and educational content. All that and more at nofilmschool.com. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment and let us know what you think. I think that's enough plugs for now. Have a great day. Mm